This is episode 156 of the Prepper Website Podcast. Today's articles are, You're likely a lot less prepared for crisis than you realize, and Real Life Urban Prepper Introduction. Hey, I'm Todd Sepulveda, the editor of PrepperWebsite.com. This podcast is an audible version with some commentary of articles that have been posted on Prepper Website, a daily curation of preparedness information. These articles are some of the best of the best that have been recently posted on PrepperWebsite.com. All article links and show information can be found on the PrepperWebsitePodcast.com. Hey, uh, just really quick, Ivy Hart Farm uh, left a, uh, a comment on episode 155 because I had mentioned the, the belt in the, in the clothing. And uh, he said here, uh, my favorite clothing line is Duluth Trading Company. I love the quality and durability. I have their Velcro uh, belt and it's awesome. You don't have to jump from hole to hole or punch an additional hole between two. Speaking of two, that's my two cents worth. Thanks for doing what you do, Todd. So uh, thanks, Trent, for uh, for providing that. Uh, Trent also has a has a website, Ivy Heart Farm. But uh, Trent, man, you need to re- write some articles. So uh, let's get let's get going on those and let me know. Uh, love to have those uh, you know on the podcast. Uh, if you're if you are farming out there and you're farming and ranching and you've got all those uh, all those articles just you know that happen every single day to you that you could write right uh, there's just so much going on and I know that if you're really homesteading and you're living that life you probably don't have a lot of time to uh, sit down at uh, at the computer and, and type out a whole article but anyway thanks for listening and providing that information he does have a link to Duluth Trading. Uh, dot com and uh, the specific belt that he was talking about you can go check those out that's on episode 155 uh, and uh, go uh, in the comment section there hey uh, I want to give a quick shout out to Brian Hawkins um, he runs the website nextstepsurvival.com and uh, I just happened to, to see this uh, survival podcast I thought it was actually about sur- the survival podcast but uh, it says survival podcast I listen to and never miss an episode. And so he included us in that. Uh, thanks so much, Brian. Uh, he's got some great podcasts here that are uh, that are in his list, and uh, the Prepper Website podcast is on there as well. And so I'm going to go ahead and link to that, uh, and so you can go check that out, and maybe you can find another podcast that you might be interested in, uh, and you know to add to your uh, your podcast catcher. Hey. Um, and then Brian, I uh, need to get you hooked up on PrepperWebsite.com so we can start linking to your articles. So uh, maybe we can connect on that one. Hey, uh, just a real quick, uh, a quick note, and this is kind of funny. Uh, I was kind of procrastinating to get getting on the, you know, to to start recording the podcast. It's kind of been a long day, and I was just kind of sitting, and I was watching. Uh, I was on Facebook, and I saw a video. Uh, of a guy who's burning his uh, his uh, NFL gear, and so there's just a lot of stuff out there. So much, uh, even my cousins. I was I was uh, I was uh, following some of my cousins who were like going after it, man. You know, on both sides of the fence on this thing. And I mean, this, the thing is, it, this is dividing families, right? That's stupid. Uh, it's so stupid. I remember hearing Jack Spirico one time talk about. Um, how you know the political system out there? Uh, you know you have you have people on uh, re- the Republican side, people on the de- Democrat side, and they don't get together for holidays. Like, can you imagine? Like, you have you don't get together with your family, like your brothers or your parents, on Christmas because uh, because you got angry one day over you know some political cause or whatever. 
I mean, that's not worth it. You don't do that. And then so here you got like families, you know, kind of dogging each other because of this stance on the NFL and all that kind of stuff. And there's opinions and all that kind of stuff. It's just it's just crazy. Don't let that divide you, your family or anything like that. I mean, you got opinions, fine. Uh, you know, this thing is going to work out. There's going to be something else that comes that take its place eventually. Uh, and uh, again, I'm still I'm still of the of the uh, the idea of you know what's out there that's going on that this is causing distraction over. Uh, one of the sad things is Puerto Rico, uh, and there's a lot of things going on. I'm going to talk about that in just a second, but. Anyway, in this in this video that I was watching, this guy has uh, I think he's Kansas he's from Kansas City. I actually linked it on uh, or shared it onto the uh, the Facebook group. But anyway, so he's got all this gear, man, all this gear, and so I'm kind of watching him and he's talking and and you know he's a pit patriot and you know I respect that totally respect that and he's talking about the NFL players and you know how much they make and all this kind of stuff and he's got all this gear I mean like you know some of this stuff is like hundreds and hundreds of I'm sure it's hundreds of dollars of gear uh, that he's got and, and napkins and all kinds of stuff so I'm watching him make this like <laughs> this little bonfire but the only thing that I could pay attention to was the fact that he left a gas tank right underneath his fire pit and so I mean you've got uh, <laughs> I'm looking at it again I'm just dying here because he's got he's got a fire going and he's got material and stuff that's hanging over the pit and it can just fall right on that gas gasoline tank and I'm like dude I mean, come on move that move that from the fire he's still I mean he's he's throwing stuff into the fire but his gas his gas can is still there and so uh I was joking on the Facebook group that is like this guy has motivated me to get on the podcast to uh, to help people prepare. Hopefully, <laughs> hopefully some. <laughs> oh my gosh! Uh, so I just hopefully some people will see you know see this uh, or hear the podcast and like man, be a little bit safer with your fire. I mean, it's just, it just driving me nuts. Maybe I'm a little delirious. Maybe it's just been a long day. But, uh, oh my gosh, it's just, come on, people. Be a little bit more careful out there. Um, so I appreciate the guys' views and all that good stuff. But, man, be careful when you're doing all that kind of stuff. Um, okay, on a more serious note, I uh, I was talking about Puerto Rico. And uh, there's, there's information out there. And I keep talking about them. It's something that I think we need to continue watching. There was a, a short video that I saw. It was about one minute. And uh, uh, this guy is talking about how they're, they were bringing in teams, uh, sending teams into Puerto Rico to help start, you know, to, to help start rebuilding it and, and things like that, build up the infrastructure. And so as, they, as they're going, they get robbed. And so he's like, not only these people got robbed, but other people, you know, it's like he, he talked about two or three different scenarios where people got robbed. And so he's like, this is like a widespread deal, right? And uh, I think there's, there's like less than two million people on in Puerto Rico. I mean, it's, it's an island. Uh, and so, you know, there's a lot of people, but uh, it's kind of you know, a small amount when you think about, you know, people doing a lot of stealing and a lot of, uh, you know, robbing and things like that. And so he's like, this is a big, big deal. A lot of this is going on. It's not being reported. And so his thing was, hopefully we can start going into the 
to the uh, to the airports where there's more security so that we can you know start to help the people out there and then of course all the looting and and uh, robbing and stuff like that hopefully that will start to go uh, go down as people start getting their their meet their needs met but uh, man it's still it's still gonna be a, a big deal but again we have all these things going on in the world and uh, you know Puerto Rico we got North Korea still it's like r- ratcheting it up all the time things going on in the Middle East, all, you know, we still have fires and, and, you know, Florida and, uh, you know, I was in a meeting yesterday and, uh, just, just, uh, just to kind of relate how easy it is to forget about what's going on. So I was in a meeting and it's probably, it's, you know, about 15, 20 people. And, um, out of the, the 15, 20 people that were there, two of us, two of the people that were in the meeting, um, lost their homes. I mean, they they had to pull. They lost everything. Uh, luckily, they have insurance and all that kind of stuff, but they lost everything. And so, you know, one of the topics is we were briefly talking about how easy it is to forget that there's a lot of people still going through um, craziness. I mean, one one uh, one woman was completely out of her home. She's living. Her and her husband are living with her parents. Um, you know, uh, another woman has. Uh, she's living in like uh, uh, I guess a, 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 an apartment over her garage, while her uh, house, or maybe in the second story, I think that's what she said. Uh, she's living in the second story while the whole bottom of her. I mean, she walks. She said she walks in and she just looks at her house and she sees all the way through it. And uh, you know, we've we've everybody else has kind of picked up with life. We're getting into our routine. We're getting back into you know the flow of, of work and everything. And so it's so easy to forget about all those kinds of things that are happening, uh, you know, because people are are hurting, and uh, it's it's hard to forget that. So, um, or hard, it's it's hard to to remember. It's easy to forget all that kind of stuff that that happens, because we get back into our lives, and, and because we're not personally affected. And so uh, again, that's one reason why to keep people in your prayers and and all that good stuff. So. Uh, all right, so if you're part of the, if you're not part of the Facebook group, you've got to go join the Facebook group so you can at least see this crazy video that that I po- posted up there. And uh, I'm also uh, asking people in the Facebook group to help uh, help me decide what uh, article. You know, every Friday on the Friday podcast, I pull an arc, uh, article from the archive uh, from the tag cloud. And so I'm like, hey, what what kind of article are you interested in? Um, in in hearing you know uh in me reading and so uh i kind of you know have put that out there last week and i did that again this week and so uh you get an opportunity to kind of give a little bit of feedback and maybe uh you know uh, share what what kind of article you think would be good for the friday podcast all right so let's go ahead and get on with uh the first article this first article is actually it's a longer one it comes to us from peakprosperity.com uh that is adam taggart's and chris mortensen's uh, Martinson's um, website. Um, it's mostly a lot of the times they're dealing from the financial aspect of it, but this article is dealing from uh, preparedness, and uh, they they get into the financial aspect a little bit uh, later on. Uh, but I think it's uh, it's a good article, kind of gets you thinking. And um, again, like I said, it's it, it's entitled "You're Likely a Lot Less Prepared for Crisis." Then you realize lessons from the recent rash of natural disasters. And this was written by Chris Martinson. And so we're going to go ahead and, and read this one. It seems as if Mother Nature is waking up. 
Either she's trying to send humans an important warning, or perhaps she's just out to kill us all. Massive storms across the globe, earthquakes, and collapsing ecosystems all combine to remind us that we are indeed intimately connected to our planet's natural systems, and that our well-being rests on staying on Mother Nature's good side. Well, Mother Nature has seemed pretty pissed off at us of late. Her recent punishments should be taken as a disciplinary wake-up call. It's time. It's time to prepare everyone way past time. And it's time to recognize that there are multiplying failure points across the many systems we depend on for our way of life, both natural and man-made. For example, the wealth gap between the rich and the poor is now grossly obscene and yet still growing wider. Our industrial farmed soils are being depleted of their nutrients. Species are going extinct every single day. Global oil consumption ticks higher every year. Stock, prices, stock price over-evaluation is about the highest it's ever been. Bonds have never been more expensive. That is, the yields have never been lower in all of recorded history. Debt levels have never been higher, both globally and in most cases locally. And the planet's population continues to explode. 7.5 billion today, 10 billion by 2050, while key resources deplete at accelerating rates. Only the foolish or the seriously self-deluded would think that these observations and trends will be consequence-free, which means we have to begin doing things very differently. We have to change who we are, the actions we take, the investments we prioritize, and even our most fundamental values and priorities. However, most people simply will not prepare, not notice, and not change anything until they are forced to by crisis. And even then, some will resist any notion of change until they've lost everything. The recent destructive hurricanes have been literally and figuratively instructive in this regard. When to stay and when to go. The first lesson we learned from the hurricane was this. Stay if you can. Leave sooner than everyone else if you cannot. Evacuating has a host of problems for those caught up in the exodus. Traffic jams, lack of fuel along the route, and having to drive for many hours only to end up in a distant hotel in a town probably not ready for a massive influx of people are just a few of the stresses. Living out of hotels and away from your job is also very expensive, especially for a nation where more than 75% live from paycheck to paycheck. As the people of the Florida Keys learned with Irma, once you've evacuated, you're you're then unable to return until authorities have decided you can, creating enormous stress for people who want to check on their properties and possibly pets left behind, put tarps over damaged roofs, etc. The lesson may claim, may, many claim to have learned from that experience was to not evacuate in the first place. After reading enough accounts of people who regretted evacuating, coupled to the relatively low loss of life, even in places like Dominica that took the full brunt of a Category 5 hurricane, where people live in less than ideal structures, like a flimsy wood frame tin roof affairs, it would take quite a lot for me to decide to not ride out a storm. I'd have to have some special mitigating factors to impel me to evacuate, like tall trees next to my house, being in a floodplain or near a flimsy dam or dike, or having special needs people under my care who might need electricity or other services to remain alive. I've never sat through a Cat 5 storm, so perhaps I'd change my mind if I ever did. All report, reports are it's an extremely terrifying experience, loud, violent, and seemingly endless. 
but I'm pretty confident that I'd choose to wait out a Cat 3 or lower in my house. That said, I'd have a prearranged and well-defined evacuation plan in place, just in case. The experiences shared below have convinced me of the high value of doing so. Getting prepared beforehand. We've had several PeakProsperity.com members write in who were in the direct paths of Harvey and Irma and came out from the storms okay. One best practice they shared in common was that they were already fully stocked with emergency provisions well before the hurricanes even began forming way out in the Atlantic. These were folks who had prioritized being prepared for whatever future disaster might arise. Despite this, they still experienced some surprises. No matter how well prepared you think you are, reality has a way of exposing your overlooked weaknesses. Here's an account from one of our readers, Rector. Quote, We live south of Corpus Christi and Harvey just missed our area. We began the usual fire drill of preparing for the hurricane, but it veered north just in time. Bizarrely, the follow-on weather was delightful, sunny, crisp, and breezy, while the rest of the Gulf Coast became an apocalyptic nightmare. As I watched the news, I was painfully aware of how close we came to being flooded, displaced, and disrupted. As a card-carrying member of the Peak Prosperity Preparers Club, I came to the realization that Chris articulated, nothing can prepare you for this kind of black swan event. No matter what, losses will occur. My takeaways after being grazed by the Harvey Bullet are so far. 1. Be prepared to accept refugees. Family members are on their way, I think. At this point, they are without resources and fractured. Dad is a cop and cannot leave Houston. We are happy to accept them in, into our home, but it wasn't exactly planned. In a wider emergency, the same might happen, and I will say yes then too. I need to expand my preparations for the likelihood of more people camping out with us. Turning everyone away outside of a pandemic scenario is not an option, really. What's the point of all this anyway if you can't help people? I really like that Rector said that uh, because that's just my uh, that's my view as well, and uh, it's not really uh, you know, widespread in the preparedness community. A lot of people are like, man, if you didn't prepare, that's too bad for you. I'm taking care of my own. But uh, you know, I I think my Christian values and my my faith and uh, you know my desire to help people, uh, I just it makes it very very hard for me to do that. All right, so uh, let's continue going on here. Uh, being five percent prepared is way better than zero. As I watch people in Houston, it has occurred to me that I need a boat. I live on a body of water which has flooded before and will flood again. I built my home well above the floodplain, but Harvey just made a joke out of that math. As I watch people wade in chest-deep water while others float by in boats, I'm buying a boat today. Being prepared is great. I needed to do nothing to get ready for the hurricane at my home. Turns out that was really helpful because my time was spent getting other people and places prepared. All of my employees, save one, asked for the day off to get their homes ready, leaving me alone in my preparations. Thankfully, I didn't have to waste time at the gas pump, ATM, or the grocery store. Number four, evacuation plans are a real priority for me now. With four kids, my mental default position has been to hunker down. We don't evacuate for hurricanes here has been the attitude because we are prepared and have always done well. Harvey has demonstrated this is not always possible. 
I will now focus my considerable prepping energy to developing a viable evacuation strategy. Not an overland hike in ghillie suits, but a real strategy to get this group of people somewhere else quickly and safely. Routes in every direction, a list of des destinations, checklists for packing, securing, and evacuating, documentation, asset relocation, etc. I am even going to develop a plan to go into Mexico. I had a day and a half between threat presentation and expected landfall. Some events may present even less time. Number five, I need to be able to execute a plan at less than 100%. As luck would have it, I pulled a muscle at CrossFit a week before and would have needed to do all the above while limping around in pain. I represent the lion's share of muscle power for the family, but can they execute in my absence or incapacity? Hmm, I'm not ready for that. Number six, it is possible for two bad things to happen at the same time. The financial crisis could begin, North Korea could strike, or any of the other crap I worry about could commence at any moment, while living in a FEMA shelter because I hadn't planned on evacuating. Am I ready to evacuate? I'm sorry, am I ready to execute trades, etc. while in that shape? Hmm, not ready for that either. I am thankful that we are that we were spared the apocalypse, but it has again identified holes in my plan that are the result of false premises. Challenge yours because you just can't make this stuff up. Rector. End quote. So many lessons packed into that experience. Huge thanks to Rector for sharing that all with us. The part that really caught me and made me rethink my entire level of preparation centered around just how unprepared I would be if I had to completely bug out and leave my home behind. Harvey and Katrina showed that sometimes you have to do just that. So has Maria, which is going to leave parts of Puerto Rico without power for possibly several months, maybe as long as half a year. Would you be willing to live without power in a tropical climate without power for six months? I wouldn't. Just keeping food from spoiling would be a hard challenge, but just one of many, including sleeping without AC or fans, or rather trying to sleep, I should say. The other important lesson to to take from Rector and others like him is that if preparing beforehand is comparatively easy, but during a crisis, it becomes very hard and sometimes impossible. Another reader account, this one from Morpheus, who was in the direct path of Irma for a time, confirms this. Quote, I live in Palm Beach City, Florida, and right now both the U.S. and European forecasting models have a Cat 4, Cat 5 eyewall slamming right into my house. Maybe not as bad as currency collapse, but it will be worse for me. Anyways, to make a long story short, we think that we are well prepared, at least we thought so. But crises of this magnitude get you th to think even deeper than you normally would. And boy oh boy, I wish I had thought deeper. We're better prepared than 99% of the population out there, but now all that procrastination over the years is grating on me like sandpaper. Oh, the easy things that I could have done a month ago, or six months, six months a year ago. End quote. I mean, that's a very... Uh, very important thing to to remember. Sometimes we get you know we get going and it's like we start procrastinating, but uh, there's some easy things that you can do if you were in the midst of a crisis. Uh, something that is just man, you, you kick yourself. Like if I would have just made that one trip to that one store, if I would have just made that purchase, would have made life just a little bit more easier. If I would have thought through the the plans just a little bit uh, more. All right, so continuing on. The message is clear. Even for those who think they are well prepared, a true emergency can shine a harsh light on your shortcomings. The best time to prepare is as far beforehand as you can, ma as you can manage. The vast majority of people will ignore this message. Take the story that made the rounds during Irma. 
Quote, like many Floridians racing to buy food and supplies before the arrival of Hurricane Irma, Pam Breke found herself miles from home today desperately hoping to score a generator. According to ABC affiliate WFTV-TV, Breke, a Sanford, Florida resident, had spent days waiting for empty shelves to be restocked and searching for a generator. She said today that she traveled more than 30 miles to Orlando to a Lowe's home improvement store that had received a surprise shipment of a little more than 200 generators. Within two hours, however, the generators were sold out and Breke, who had been next in line, was empty-handed. A heartbroken Breke then began to cry. Raymond Santiago, who had gotten one of the generators but had not purchased it yet, noticed and insisted that she take his. She needs the generator, Santiago told WFTV. It's okay. Breke shared with Santiago that it was her ailing father who needed the generator to power his oxygen supply. End quote. A heartwarming story to be sure, and we can all applaud Mr. Santiago for his actions. But it's also an instructive tale that reveals the extent to which many people fail to think through their plans until forced to. An imminent hurricane should not be a required prompt to begin thinking about scoring a generator. Look, if I had an ailing parent that required electricity in order to survive, hurricane threat or not, you can bet I would have backup power already on site and thought through. Hey, sometimes the power goes out. Hurricane, blown transformer, or errant squirrel. It's insane to think it will, it will always be available, uninterrupted, 100% of the time. So while this story had a happy ending, it shouldn't have happened in the first place. People should be prepared to take care of themselves through any reasonable and foreseeable emergency. Some are, most are not. Preparing in a rush while an emergency is approaching or underway is difficult and not advised. In Puerto Rico, this was immediately apparent even before Maria landed. Quote, this storm promises to be, a catastrophic, to be catastrophic for our land, said Ernesto Morales with the U.S. National Weather Service in San Juan. All of Puerto Rico will experience hurricane force winds. Puerto Rico has imposed rationing of basic supplies including baby formula, water, milk, canned food, batteries, and flashlights, end quote. That is, once a disaster is on the way, it's too late to stock up. Don't get caught having delayed too long. Preparing is a selfless act. The entire topic of prepping seems to have gone dead over the past few years, but trust me, it's going to come back into style again soon. Right now, many people have a negative reaction to the idea of preparing and denigrate it as some sort of loony act. This is really just a psychological evasion, a coping technique that allows them to ignore their own lack of resilience. We all expect our corporations and governments, federal, state, and local, to be ready to easily pre predictable emergencies, and we get quite irate when they prove not to be true. Even though most of us have taken zero steps in our own lives to prepare for these easily predictable events. The passage from our book, Prosper, provides our views on what it means to prepare responsibly. Quote, Another objection we hear to the prospect of preparing and becoming more resilient is that those actions could be seen by others as being selfish. Instead, we see them as being selfless. Those who are not prepared when an emergency strikes are a drain on critical resources, while those who are prepared can be of assistance. To be among those who can be in a position to render assistance or at least need none of their own means that their prior acts of preparation have selflessly removed you from the, removed you from the minus column in an emergency and placed you on the plus side. 
Anyone who has flown in an airplane is familiar with this model. During the emergency procedures review prior to takeoff, you're reminded to put on your oxygen mask first before assisting others or your own children. The reason for this is obvious. If you lose consciousness, then, you be, then you'll be of no help to anyone and become a burden on others. The first step towards preparedness usually involves addressing your own needs or those of your loved ones. But many people then go beyond that and prepare for others who may not be able to do so, or have not done so, or maybe even will not do so. But let us put an important qualifier on that. Preparing before a crisis hits is responsible and selfless, but trying to accumulate necessary items during a crisis is an act of hoarding. We do not and never will advocate hoarding. Responsible preparations begin long before any trouble appears. Anything else stands a good chance of making things worse, not better, and may earn you some enemies. The news has been full of stories of how people behave when scarcity strikes, and these are often quite distressing tales of bad behavior and fragile civility. People in Boston fought over bottled water just hours after a water main broke in 2010. Nasty fights, too, given that the water main had broken just hours earlier. In Venezuela, as of the writing of this book, desperate people are attempting to buy anything and everything that may remain in the stores as their national currency devalues by the day. Looting and violence are, one, are on the rise and hunger and hopelessness are taking hold. This has brought forth all sorts of stopgap government-mandated countermeasures that are typically making things worse for average families. Let me just stop there for a second because this brought up uh, something to my mind that I read earlier on Twitter. You know, I'm always looking for, uh, you know, I talk about Venezuela, Puerto Rico, uh, you know, those kinds of things. Just kind of keeping an eye on what's going on over there because I think there's lessons to be learned there. Uh, so when Venezuela popped up on my, uh, on my Twitter, uh, I guess it was an article from Zero Hedge. Um, the title was uh, that people, that people, women are uh, starting to prostitute themselves to make enough money to be able to eat and provide for their families. And so I'm like, oh my gosh, I, you know, it's gotten to that point now. And so when you when you start reading the article, um, you you the article is talking about that these people. I mean, you're just not talking about poor people here. These are doctors. These are degreed professionals that are starting to prostitute themselves for $25 an hour. And uh, man, that's just, that's heartbreaking when you hear something like that, that people have to resort to that to be able to support their family and, and you know, in, in buying food and, and things like that. And so you don't want to get to that point. So let me continue on uh, and uh, I'll, I'll come back at the end of this article with just uh, a few thoughts. In the process of becoming more resilient, time is your most valuable asset. Be aware that many things that are easily available now may be difficult or impossible to obtain later. Now, before any big crises have hit, it's very easy to pick up the phone or click a mouse button and have the big brown truck of happiness roll up to your doorstep a few days later with your purchase. Everything you could ever want to buy is currently available and storage are abundantly stocked. Stores are abundantly stocked. In most countries, However, we can imagine a large number of possible futures where such access to consumer goods and desired items is either much more is either much more restricted, much more expensive, or even impossible. For those without monetary resources, some of your most important assets, such as social and emotional capital, require no money at all, but will take time to develop. End quote. Preparing beforehand and thereby 
being in a position to help those around you in the event of an emergency is selfless. Preparing in the midst of a crisis, grabbing what you can, is selfish. So why bring all this up, the coming financial storm? The recent hurricanes are merely reminders that sometimes things happen that are out of our control. They remind us that risk still exists. Our long-standing view is that there's a financial storm coming, one that is going to be larger and more destructive than all the others that come before. Just as the hurricane in the Atlantic Basin were fueled by ocean temperatures as full, uh, a full 1.5 degrees warmer than average, the coming financial storm will be fueled by the most excessive pull of hot money created in all of history. In 2016, the stock market had convincingly rolled over and formed a very reliable head and shoulders top indicating an approaching correction. In response, the world central banking cartel, led by the ECB and the Bank of Japan in this case, went on the most aggressive money printing spree the world had, ever, had yet seen, flooding the markets to drive prices back higher. Here's what happened to the Dow Jones Industrial Average in response. There's a graphic there that you can look at. While that rescued the stock market, it has only served to drive it up to a higher level that will be far more destructive when it finally corrects. Such help always turns out to have come with a long-term cost far greater than the short-term benefit. History shows that every bubble experiences a final blow-off top phase. They all do, whether the object of fascination is a railroad, swamp land in Florida, tulip bulbs, or today's financial assets. The, the, finan the final spurt on the above monthly chart of the Dow certainly looks like that moment of central bank panic of 2016 has finally resulted in the blown off top we've been looking for, one that has been long in coming. Another feature of bubbles is that they require prices to depart wildly from their underlying fundamentals. Well, we need look no further than small cap stocks in the U.S., which have just hit a brand new record high as earnings have been in terminal decline. So there is a, a graphic here of the Russell 2000 reaching new record highs. Yes, Virginia. Stocks hitting new highs as earnings expectations hit new lows is very telling. It means that the crazy liquidity experiment of the central banks now has a life of its own. It's crazy for stocks to be behaving this way, especially since this is our third and biggest asset price bubble in 20 years. Stock prices now shrug off the risk of nuclear war, despite the escalating saber-rattling between the U.S. and North Korea. They are also immune to the increasing trade tensions between the U.S. and China, and a host of other generally deteriorating geopolitical trends. In short, they are in bubble land and are now in search of a pen. The situation is now so obvious that even mainstream media outlets like MarketWatch are reporting on the dangerous repercussions of the Federal Reserve's behavior. Quote, I'll admit that it feels a little surreal that this Federal Reserve, with its addiction to manipulating markets, is actually trying to kick the habit. The unwinding of the balance sheets will dominate markets for at least the next two years and cements our outlook for higher rates, said Bryce Dottie, Senior Portfolio Manager at SID Investments, which manages some $7 billion. End quote. I suppose it's gratifying to finally see in print the same thing we've been saying for years. The Federal Reserve and, re and the rest of the world's central banking cartel are addicted to manipulating markets, but the world eventually catches up. At the same time, it's a little unnerving to see these ideas going mainstream because that means we're much closer to the end of this experiment than the beginning. All it takes is a critical mass of people to lose faith in the central banks for things to really get started to the downside. 
Once they do, we predict the financial turmoil will take on a life of its own and we'll all be damn lucky if that doesn't spread into wider and more destructive geopolitical conflicts. In part two, crisis preparation, what to do, we detail out point by point the most important steps concerned individuals should take now before another disaster arrives to safeguard their investment capital, their property, and their personal security of their families. Because whether caused by Mother Nature or man's own recklessness, we are due for more crisis. Don't be caught unprepared. Click here to read part two of this report, uh, and it's a free executive summary enrollment required for full access. So uh, in order to see that part two, you do have to enroll in their in their monthly uh, or in, into their, their program. So they have a, a monthly membership program that you can be a part of. But uh, there's a lot of information here and uh, gets you really, really thinking. For those of you, you know, mo- mo- most of you that are listening to the podcast, um, you're either prepared or you, uh, you know, it's intrigued you uh, that you, you know, you want to start getting prepared. Maybe something has triggered you and you found the podcast somewhere, or maybe this is your very first time listening to the podcast and you're, you're hearing some of these things, and maybe things are starting to make sense to you and like, hey, you know, maybe I should be preparing just a little bit. And the fact is, is that. You know, like what Chris was saying is like the more you prepare now, the better off you are a little bit later on. Even if you can be 5% prepared, you know, you are still better off than a lot of other people who aren't even thinking about it. And so one of the biggest objections that that always comes about when we talk about preparedness is or stocking up and being prepared and, 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 you know, getting what you need is is the issue of, of finances and money. You know, one of the quotes he said here is 75% of Americans are living paycheck to paycheck. And a lot of the times that are that is people who are uh, wanting to prepare. And so what, you know, the advice is always find ways to cut, you know, uh, cut your cable bill, uh, you know, make sure that you're not eating out and, and you, know, all, you know, make sure that you have a budget and all those kinds of things where you're telling your money, your money what to do every single month instead of just, you know, you're, you just start paying things off and then by the time you know it, it's gone. So being wise with your money and putting some money away and then starting to prepare. There's a lot of things that you can do that are free. There's, I mean, definitely gear costs money, uh, you know, things like that, you know, food, food storage costs money, but there's ways to, to do it to where, you, you know, you can do it cheaply, but start to get prepared. And so hopefully you're listening to this. And if you're somebody who is on the verge of getting prepared or you're, you're someone who is not really that prepared, you know, my experience in talking with people who, uh, who identify as preppers. Um, but maybe, you know, they're not on the, um, maybe they're not like, uh, they don't have a website or something like that. They're just people that I meet who identify as preppers. Like, yeah, I'm, I'm a prepper. I prepare. Um, they're not as prepared as, uh, you would think a prepper would be prepared. You know, um, they'll, they'll say something like, you know, I have a month worth of food, you know, or I have, you know, two weeks worth of food or, you know, uh, something like that. Uh, a lot of the times people have this idea that preppers are, you know, they have, you know, years and years worth of food. Uh, a lot of the times that's not the case. So really it's, it stands to reason that a lot of people, even those of us who are preppers, can prepare a little bit more. We can uh, tighten up our preps. We can, uh, you know, look over what we have and, and maybe increase it. And if, if anything, if it's not just, 
you know, to uh, to increase the preps. It's to have something so that we can help other people as well. Um, if you if you maybe you know fall in those lines and, and you believe that way. So find a way to do that. Start, you know, saving some money, you know, go uh, shopping at places where, you know, maybe you go to thrift stores and you start looking for some, uh, you know, some deals there. Um, shopping, you know, sales, uh, canned foods, uh, you know, don't try to go out and buy uh, a big old stock of um, long-term food storage, right? You don't want to charge up your credit cards and things like, you know, if I would have charged up my credit cards when I first started prepping, I'd be in a herd of, of, of uh, uh, a big hurt right now financially. Uh, I was wanted to say a world of hurt uh, because it's been it's been many years, right? And so I would have like, oh man, the world's going to end, and so I'm going to go charge up all my credit cards, and uh, you know, because the world's going to end in in the next month, and I'm not going to have to pay that off. Well, it's been years and years and years, and you know, that food would just be kind of sitting sitting around, and I'm you know in financial struggles here because I, I did that. So you don't want to go do that, um, but you you do want to uh, be smart about you know your preparations, and so doing you know food storage, uh, you know doing if you go buy one can, if you can buy two cans, if you can you know th- that kind of stuff, and you can continue adding to that. Maybe you do something like uh, if you have a birthday coming up, or you have uh, you know you have something like you know, ask people to give you gift cards. Uh, you know, instead of instead of buying you know, a lot of the times they'll buy you something like junky for ten, fifteen, twenty dollars. But just say, hey guys, I have some purchases that I'm trying to make and some things that I, I, I kinda have my eyes set on and I'd really like if you know if you if you really do want to give me a gift, uh, you know, I'd I'd appreciate some gift cards. And I know that's hard to put out there sometimes on your own. Maybe you can have somebody say that for you, you know. But that's a that's a great uh, uh, you know that's a great way of doing it as well. Uh, stocking up. Maybe you uh, I don't know. Maybe for I don't know your birthday or Christmas or you know whatever you find uh, you find ways of of getting it out there that you uh, you like to prepare. And uh, or, you know, you have certain things that you're that you're trying to work towards. But anyway, start preparing now as much as you know, as what you can start with a plan. Don't go crazy. Don't go all, you know, the world's going to end chicken little tomorrow. And so you go to the store. Let me tell you, there was times um, and a lot of the times it was because of the stuff that I was reading and even the books that I was reading. I would go to the grocery store and, uh, you know, I would I wasn't thinking about the you know my menu that I was I was uh, trying to buy for I was thinking about the man the end of the world is is coming soon and what can I you know what can I buy to help me for that uh, and you got to be careful with that kind of thinking I remember walking going to work one uh, one school year and walking the halls and and just thinking you know all these people have no clue no clue you know that the world could end tomorrow and you start thinking that way. Uh, and, and I and I tried to get away from that as much as possible, and I started sharing uh, the fact that you know I was preparing and preparedness. And so, I mean, like I, I've said that before, everybody in my school knew that I was a I was a prepper. Everybody knew that had that I had the website, and uh, uh, you know that that uh, I prepared. And so, I'm still in contact with some of those people. Some of those uh, people listen to listen to the podcast, and so I'm grateful for having them as well. All right, so let's go ahead and move on to the next article. This is not a very long one, but uh, it's uh, it's a good one. And this comes to us from PrepperBits.com. The article is entitled Real Life Urban Prepper. So let's go ahead and read this one. 
The fact that more and more people are becoming preppers is a credit to today, today's prepper community who are a great bunch of individuals committed to sharing their emergency preparedness knowledge with all who want to learn. As a real-life urban prepper, I decided to write this article to share my knowledge and offer more details and my point of view on what an urban prepper does. Definition of an urban prepper An urban prepper is an individual who is preparing to live, stay, and survive in an urban environment such as a town, city, or any other built-up residential area. Although becoming an urban prepper could be one of pure choice, often it's more a case of circumstance due to a prepper's geographical location. In most cases, a prepper becomes an urban prepper because they live and work in an urban area. Due to this, an urban prepper plans to stay and survive in their home should an urban disaster or event occur. This is a logical approach to emergency preparedness because a lot of urban preppers don't live close to any rural or wilderness locations to which they could escape. Often attempting to flee to any such location could be detrimental to their survival. Another reason it, may seem, it makes sense is because in most cases they, are, they have everything they need at home to survive. For more than you could fit in a bug out bag. I'm sorry, far more than you can fit into a bug out bag. They also have the home advantage. They know their area well and best position to defend themselves. A good example of someone who becomes an urban prepper due to circumstances is a person who lives in the United Kingdom, which is a largely urban populated island. Aside from some locations in Scotland and Wales, the UK has limited areas of wilderness to bug out to. This being the case, urban preppers would only plan to bug out to a different location if there was absolutely no chance of surviving in the urban area they, they are most familiar with. Why I consider myself an urban prepper. First and foremost, I am a prepper who aims to research and learn as much emergency preparedness knowledge and skills that I can. There is, however, one factor of my life that at this time I cannot escape, and that is I live and work in an urban location. So like many others, I have become an urban prepper through circumstances. I have everything I need close to my work or home, so unless remaining at that location became undoable, for example, because of a gas explosion or a major flooding and so on, I will remain there. From my point of view, becoming an urban prepper is also a sign of the times. We are now living in troubling times where terror attacks in towns and cities are becoming more common. This being the case, we need to prepare for when we are out in urban areas going about our daily lives. You never know exactly when or where such attacks could happen. For this reason, I carry a basic urban survival kit with me at all times. This is often called an everyday kit, or EDC. Uh, as an urban prepper, what am I preparing for? For me, being an urban prepper is about maximizing my chances of surviving any of the following urban scenarios. Terror attacks, civil unrest, economic collapse, long-term power outages, pandemic, solar flares, EMP, cyber attack. The above list of emergency preparedness scenarios are the ones that I personally associate most with urban emergency preparedness. What you are preparing for and the reason why will be dependent on your own circumstances and outlook as a prepper. Everyday Carry Explained Everyday carry is exactly what it says on the tin. It's the survival gear that you carry on your person every day. Whilst the contents of such kit can change on a daily basis depending on your routine and activities. The idea is that you always have items on your person that can help you to survive unknown threats. An example of some EDC items would be flashlights, multi-tools, knives, lighter, lighter pen. Further, uh, further on in this article, I will list for you the main EDC gear items that I carry on a daily basis. 
EDC gear is normally carried in pockets, on keychains, in cargo pants, or anywhere on one's person that is most practical. My everyday carry gear list example. The items that you include in your everyday carry kit will be dependent on the items you consider necessary for the situation you are preparing for. Here are the EDC gear items that, you're, that are on my master list as an urban prepper. Smartphone and charger, flashlight and spare batteries, Leatherman multi-tool, Victoria Knox folding knife, medic first aid key ring, small survival tin, lighter, waterproof matches, whistle, UST survival bandana, car keys, Maxpedition wallet, night uh, Izzy doohickey, uh, <laughs> I always get caught up on that word, uh, Spyderco honeybee, Fresnel signal mirror medication, water purification tablets, space pen and waterproof paper, G-Shock Rangeman watch, mini BCB NATO compass, paracord bracelet, USB stick containing essential documents, survival belt or cash belt, emer uh, energy gum, bank cards, cash, folding and co coins, mini sewing kit on a card, rubber bands, credit card multi-tool, night Izzy carabiner, Victoria Knox keychain, light load towels, list of emergency contact numbers. I don't necessarily take every item listed above with me at all times. While I take what I take depends on what I'm doing on any given day. Whilst the above list may seem a lot, with a little practice and planning you can carry these items relatively stealthily. My real life urban prepper summary. Preparing for urban chaos is only one area of survivalism that many preppers plan for. We don't always know what's waiting for us around the corner, so preparing for as many emergency and survival scenarios as you can is the best approach to take. If you have any urban survival ideas you would like to share, why not add them to the comments section below. You can also check out our prepper resource section for more information, checklist, and free downloads. All right, so there are a couple of comments here, about seven comments and different people adding to, uh, adding to the conversation. So, uh, you know, good, good there. I really like that, um, that Jason is, it, that he said what he said here, because sometimes it's just impossible. Because really, in preparedness, the idea is, okay, um, if you're going to bug in, bug in, eventually maybe. If you need to bug out to the woods, okay, you're going to bug out to the woods. But there's some times where you just can't bug out. And I love that idea of, uh, you know, Jason is over in the, in the UK. So I love that idea of, uh, you know, explaining that, hey, this, you know, this is an island, right? And so there are, there are some places where you will find wood, but for the most part, it's just one big urban island. And uh, you got you to think about that. You know, where you live... Uh, you might not be able to get to the woods. You might not be able to get to uh, your, your bug out, a bug out retreat or something like that. You got to just make do with what you have. There's a lot of people like that, and so that doesn't mean that you can't have plans. That doesn't mean that you can't think things through and and uh, you know think about how you would uh, survive in in various scenarios. You know um, that might be. That might be something to go through. You know, if you are in an urban situation, if you had a, you know, if you had the EMP, right? How would I survive? If there was civil unrest, how would I survive? How would I get around? How would I do those kinds of things? If there was a financial collapse, what would that mean for my area? What what kinds of things would I be dealing with possibly? And and running through some of those scenarios because again, you might not be able to go out to the woods. There might not be that. Uh, that uh, that might not be an option for you. So I really, really like that. 
the you know that he brought that up and and put it out there, made that part of the the conversation because a lot of the times um, it's just so easy to say, yeah, we're going out and bugging out to the woods, and uh, that might not be you know th- there might be cases there's there's going to be cases where people who stay in their urban environment survive longer if it was a true shtf situation people who 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 stay who bug in in their urban environment will live longer than people who decide to go bug out because their people who decide to bug out are not really truly prepared to bug out you know maybe they have it in their mind that they want to bug out maybe they have uh, you know some gear and things like that but they're not really prepared to bug out and people who were to stay in their urban setting uh, would be better prepared and would would survive longer. So you got to think that that might be, uh, you know, that might be a very big possibility that uh, that that happens out there if the the poop really hit the fan. I like the idea of the EDC. Hopefully you have a little kit. You have put together some things. Uh, more than likely you already do have it. There are some things that you carry with you every single day. Uh, and uh, you know you, you just you might not be thinking that it's an EDC kit but you you might have uh, your cell phone very big very big tool very important tool you might have a whistle on your uh, you know on your keychain you might have a little uh, pry bar or something like that on your keychain that doohickey uh, you know tool that he was mentioning uh, that that might be something you know that, that you don't consider EDC but comes in handy and so they're all you know all kinds of things you might have all kinds of things they're just not maybe uh, you don't identify them as being in a little kit right so uh, a lot of things there to uh, to consider and uh, appreciate Jason's article over there, Real Life Urban Preppers. Um, love to hear, you know, love to see this expanded more. So Jason, looking forward to more articles on that. Uh, thanks for, for writing that one. Hey guys, thanks so much for uh, hanging out with me on episode 156 of the Prepper Website Podcast. Uh, if you get a chance, I'd love to uh, connect with you. Uh, you know, you can come and drop a a comment in the comment section over at theprepperwebsitepodcast.com. And, uh, you know, wherever you leave it, uh, I usually find it. Uh, so, uh, you know, it pops up in my email, and so I can go read it and approve it and all that good stuff. Uh, but you can also come and uh, connect with me on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And so I uh, always love to, uh, to do that and uh, hear back from listeners and get feedback on what you think about the podcast and if you have any ideas and, and, and you know, feedback, that's always great. Uh, you can also come to the Facebook group and connect with us there. Uh, you know, I, I love that group over there starting to really, you know, there's people that I'm, <laughs> that I'm seeing their name all the time and it's kind of like they're starting to become family almost, right? Because like, I see their name all the time popping up and, you know, commenting and things like that. And so I'm like, yeah, you know, I, I know that person. Uh, so, you know, come to the Facebook group uh, and you can you can lurk, you can come just to hang out or you can get involved and uh, be a part of the email list. Hey, I've got some ideas for that I'm going to be shooting out, uh, you know, through the email list. Um, and I just want to let you know that I will be taking down the, the e-course uh, eventually, you know, probably pretty soon. So if you have been on, on edge about wanting to be a part of that e-course, Go ahead and join up so you can get uh, get that e-course and be a part of the email list, all right? So uh, anyway, let me go ahead and end uh, the podcast by saying, choose to live a more self-reliant life. Choose not to be so dependent on the government grid or the grind. Until tomorrow, stay prepped and aware. Peace. <laughs>